It's good to be with you all this morning on a beautiful Lord's Day. I want to give you a a two-second update. I am continuing my efforts to reach out to the people of Metro Crest Presbyterian Church. I have talked to many of you over the phone, either to one or the other of the spouses in the home. I'm going to meet with the teenagers tonight uh, to visit with them. I'd like to visit with uh, care groups. Uh, We've got a wonderful tradition of care groups here at Metro Crest, and my goal is to reach out to all the care groups in one way or another, uh, not to pry, but simply to introduce myself and uh, let you have the opportunity to maybe ask me any questions. I'm also trying to uh, get together as much as I can with people one-on-one or in, in meal settings at homes. Uh, we had a, Leslie and I had a wonderful uh, dinner a couple of weeks ago uh, with uh, Kathleen uh, Barclay. And then we went last night and had a wonderful dinner over uh, with Jay and Ashley Marble. Uh, let me tell you, they do a very good spread uh, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon because they have a bunch of little ones at home. You know what that's like. And speaking of little ones, I have to brag on Kylie, who is very, very artistic. And over the course of dinner, she gave me and Leslie a Hello Kitty picture and another Hello Kitty picture. And guess who this is? No. Good guess. It's, it's Mickey Mouse, of course. And then this beautiful picture is a picture of the Marbles' lovely home out in Oak Point. It's beautiful. I love these pictures. And I told her I was going to bring them to church this morning and show them to all of you. So if you want to see them after church, I will happily let you take a peek of them. But I want them back. All right? These are beautiful pictures to me, and I'm very grateful for them. Um, I'd love to have a chance to come and visit you in your home if you're willing. Uh, There's no big rush, but it's a goal of mine. I'd like to be able to do that uh, in the first 100 days with as many as possible. Got a lunch or two scheduled next week, and looking forward to having the opportunity to visit one-on-one with as many of you as I possibly can. Well, that was a little bit more than a second or two, but you get the idea. I want to keep you informed. I am trying as hard as I can to build relationships, to get to know you a little bit, introduce myself, hear your story, tell you a little bit of my story, and I'll continue to try to do that. Our Bible reading this morning is Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 to 30. I think it's the custom here at MetroCrest to stand for the sermon text. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 to 30. Someone from Christ Church was asking me which Bible translation um, MPC uses, and like Christ Church Carrollton, MPC uses the English Standard Version, which I will read from this morning. Paul writes, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. 
I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here ends the reading. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Holy Father, thank you very much for this chance to be together today. Thank you for the love you're building between us in Christ by your Spirit. We pray, gracious God, that you would bless us now as we uh, pause and and spend a few minutes thinking about your word. Uh, Father, exactly as James just prayed, I pray you'd help me to get out of the way. I pray... Father, that we would be able to hear the message from you that you want us to receive. Uh, Father, send the same sovereign spirit that moved Paul to write these words. Grant that that same spirit, Father, will pry open our cold and resistant hearts. Put away all the distractions that would keep us from hearing you. And give us grace, Father, that we would hear your voice, believe, and obey your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. amen. Please be seated. The name of my sermon this morning is Servants, Laborers, Ministers. Uh, These are words drawn from Philippians, um, words that Paul used to describe the people who worked with him in gospel ministry in Philippi. Uh, You have absolutely no reason to know this, uh, but I was ordained on February 22nd, 1990. I'll never forget it. Leslie was there. None of you were, uh, but Leslie was there. February 22nd, 1990. Raise your hand if you were born after February 22nd, 1990. Raise your hand. One or two of you were born after February 22nd. Let me know. Let me tell you this. I forgive you. It is not your fault that you are so young. All right? I completely forgive you. But I do want to tell you it's been on my mind this week as I've been thinking about the passage in front of us. Uh, everyone who's been ordained knows what it's like um, whether it's uh, pastor, teaching elder, ruling elder, or pastor in a different denomination or tradition, it, it's, an, it's a sobering and humbling thing to be an ordained person. Just like it's a sobering, humbling thing to be a leader in any sense in the life of God's church. It's a very sobering and very humbling thing. And so all this week as I've been looking at this passage and thinking about it, I've thought over and over again about that day, a Saturday long ago when I was called by God into a ministry that I did not feel worthy of, and a few years later, I still don't feel worthy of. I think Paul actually has a message not only for me, but for all of us, for all of us who are called to be servants, laborers, and ministers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me get you to look at the passage, either in the bulletin or you can open in the Bible to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, verses 17 through the end of the chapter. And this, uh, 
This morning I'm going to give you three different sermon uh, headings, uh, three different servants, uh, Paul, verses 17 to 18, Timothy, verses 19 to 24, and a man named Epaphroditus, verses 25 to 30. Uh, Let's look at verses 17 to 18, first of all. Paul, who has actually mentioned himself multiple times so far in his letter, uh, says a little bit more about himself. A quick rehearsal about what Paul has so far in this letter told us. Bear in mind, they knew him. Uh, Paul had actually planted the church in Philippi. He had lived among them. He had preached the gospel to them. They had experienced all kinds of amazing things together. And so as he here, sort of in this letter, describes his relationship with the church, he, he describes a relationship of deep connection, a bond, a love, uh, affection is the word he uses to describe the way he feels towards the church. Just to remind you, in chapter 1, verse 5, uh, he talks about them being uh, partners in the gospel. Um, in verse seven, he, chapter 1, verse 7, he talks about holding them in his heart and that they are partakers with him of grace. They are fellow partakers of God's grace in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 12, he talks about them as brothers, and uh, that's a a word Paul often uses to describe his relationship with uh, his uh, brothers and sisters in the church. They they are like family. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 29 to 30, he describes them being fellow sufferers. They suffer with Paul. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 12, he kind of sums it all up by calling them his beloved He loved them. And in chapter 2, verse 16, the verse we looked at just last Sunday, he talks about them as those whom he wants to be proud of. Um, I mentioned uh, these beautiful drawings, and I I really did delight in them. It was fun to have Kylie bring them up to me in their home the other night. Uh, Out in the hallway this morning, I happened to bump into uh, Shauna, who is uh, Kylie's grandmother. And if if I was delighted to see the work that that Kylie made, uh, she was even more delighted. I mean, that little hand-drawn picture of Mickey Mouse and a little hand-drawn picture of of a house where she lived and where her family lived. I don't know what an art critic would say about that, but I know what her grandmother said. I know what her grandmother said. She loved what she saw. She was moved by what she saw. Uh, you know, uh, Paul was, was proud of the church in Philippi. Um, the way a, a grandparent is proud of a grandchild or a parent's proud of a child or uh, someone you know and love, you, you take pride in their accomplishments. Uh, it's, it's certainly an emotion all of us can understand. Well, well, Paul felt that way towards the church in Philippi. He loved them. He delighted in them. And he says so several times in this letter of rejoicing, the rejoicing church. He wanted them to rejoice, and he rejoiced in them. And so he over and over again describes this relationship. Well, here in in verse 17, in chapter 2, verse 17, he adds yet another description 
of the way he felt towards this church that he loved. And it's language that may not necessarily jump right out at us, but it certainly jumped right out from Paul. It's verse 17. Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now, like I said, those words may not resonate very deeply with us, but that's because we don't know our Old Testament. See, a drink offering was a special kind of offering that was added to the sacrificial offering. When an animal uh, was going to be sacrificed on the altar at the temple, uh, a little drink offering would be added. Wine would be added to the sacrificial offering. You see, the, the focus was the sacrificial offering. But the drink offering was, is sort of like, well, some scholars say it's like, this is the drink that the, the Lord God in heaven would use to accompany the meal, right? It's not the main course, it's the side thing. Important, prescribed by the Lord. But the sacrificial offering is where the focus is, and the drink offering is the sort of the libation on the side. Well, as Paul's describing his relationship to them, he, he puts himself in that diminutive supporting role. He actually sees the church and the faith of the church as the sacrificial offering. That's the main focus. It's the, the, the work of God's people. It's the sacrifice of God's people. Their faith in Christ, the one True atoning sacrifice. See, the meaning of their sacrifice is found in his sacrifice. We're participating in his great, once for all, perfectly satisfactory sacrifice. And Paul says he is rejoicing that he has this role to play. It's, it's a remarkable thing. If you just think about how unique Paul is, in the church, I mean, after, after the Lord Jesus and along with the apostles, Paul has this unique role in our life. His, his letters to us and to the church sort of form, in some ways, the, the basis of everything we're talking about and celebrating today. The Holy Spirit working through Paul is the way you and I are able to rejoice because the Holy Spirit moved Paul to write down the words that we've already read and that we think about and we'll be celebrating uh, today. Paul had that unique role to play, and yet he saw himself in this supporting role. It was his privilege, his joy, he says, to be the drink offering that accompanied the offering of their faith. And you can find that In Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 28, verses 7 to 8, if you want to look it up, Numbers chapter 28, verses 7 to 8, describes the role of the drink offering in the worship of Israel. And that's the way Paul understood his own life and ministry. Bear in mind, um, by being poured out, he's sort of looking towards death. Uh, the, the, The drink offering accompanied the death the sacrifice of the animal. 
There's a sense in which, in some way, Paul recognizes that he is drawing near to death. This is one of the prison letters. It's written from prison, either in Rome or perhaps Ephesus. Scholars debate that. But he was in prison. He was in chains, literally. In fact, uh, Paul makes reference to the church in Philippi sending someone from the church to come and visit him to help meet his needs, to maybe bring food, to bring supplies. In the ancient world, the way you got fed in prison was by people who cared about you sending you food. And if there was no one to send you food, you didn't necessarily eat. They might give you scraps. So the fact that Philippi had sent food, had sent someone to come and to serve Paul, to help him, was an indication of their love for him. And so as he's approaching death, whether it's days, weeks, months, or years, perhaps a couple of years, he's looking towards his own death. And so in a way, this letter to the church in Philippi, even though he makes reference to coming and seeing them, uh, he he mentions that in verse 18, uh, there's not really any evidence that he made it back to Philippi in person. He wanted to, but there's no evidence he actually did. So in a way, this is his love letter to them, his goodbye to them. It could have been that. In his mind, he may have been thinking, this is that, possibly. In any event, he he brings them this letter, and it underscores what a servant leader is. See, Paul's focus was not himself. Even in his unique role, and, and he was not reluctant to talk about his authority, but he understood that his role was not about himself. It was not about bringing glory to himself. It was about pointing towards Jesus. And his great prayer and what delighted him and what made him proud, his people who looked to Jesus and put their hope and their trust in Jesus. That was what delighted Paul. That's what he rejoiced in. So this first servant laborer minister is actually a couple of verses about Paul himself. There's another servant leader that Paul mentions, and it's someone that he's already mentioned. This is Timothy, verses 19 to 24. He actually mentions Timothy in verse 1. Timothy was co-author of the letter we're reading today. And not only was, the, was he the co-author of uh, Philippians, he was the co-author of 2 Corinthians Timothy was the co-author of Colossians. He was the co-author of First and Second Thessalonians. He was the co-author of Philemon. He's mentioned in Romans chapter 16, verse 21, as being there with Paul. as the great theological treatise of Romans was being written. Um, here was someone who was with Paul through the writing of the letters that help you and me to understand Christ. He co-authored them. Uh, from Acts chapter 16, we know uh, that's, where Paul, that's where Timothy enters the picture. In Acts chapter 16, he was a very young man, maybe 16. I'm going to meet with the youth group tonight. David and I are going to meet with the youth group. We'll have a couple of young people in the room. Well, Paul met Timothy when Timothy was a very, very young man. He knew Timothy's family. He knew... Uh, Lois and Eunice, not very common names today. 
Less uncommon in my day. I actually knew some Aunt Loises and Aunt Eunices. You don't bump into them very much today, but it used to be not uncommon to bump into a Lois or a Eunice. Um, and uh, so Paul had known Timothy basically since he was a very, very young man. And the scholars think that Timothy was Paul's sidekick, protege, co-worker, co-laborer for decades. He was with Paul for most of his ministry up until Paul got to Ephesus and Paul put Timothy finally in charge of the church in Ephesus. And after that point, we don't read anything more about Timothy uh, in the Bible, although church history has a lot to tell us, including uh, the historical thought that maybe Timothy was martyred by being stoned to death uh, there in Ephesus as a witness to Christ. Well, Paul describes his relationship with Timothy in very tender words. You know, Paul has his reputation as kind of being this hard guy and all theology and, you know, not a lot of room for emotion. But actually, if you read Paul sympathetically, if you just pause to listen to him, he's a man really, really in touch with his emotions. Uh, Look at what Paul has to say about his friend uh, Timothy Uh, in verse 22. uh, You know how Timothy's proven worth, how As a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. That's how Paul viewed Timothy as young protege. He was like a son. And they worked together. And you you certainly sense the love Paul felt for this young protege. The delight he took in what Timothy did. The ministry that he had. The way he had helped Paul and the way he had served. And so Paul pauses here in his letter to acknowledge Timothy. He wants the church in Philippi to know how important Timothy is. He's he's actually hoping to send Timothy to the church in uh, Philippi. And uh, he's, verse 24, he's hoping to get there himself. It's not at the end of verse 18, sorry. It's uh, the end of verse 24 where Paul makes reference to his hope to himself one day go to Philippi. So he's, he's hoping in verse 19 to send Paul, uh, Timothy to um, the church there in Philippi so that they will be cheered by news. Um, he, in verse 20, underscores some qualities of this son whom he was so grateful for. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests. We're not exactly sure who they are, but there were some others who were focused on their own interests, not those of Jesus. But in verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Uh, Timothy had a role to play in Paul's ministry in Philippi, in Paul's ministry period. A very, very important role. Well, tradition tells us Timothy lived to be an old man, But at this point, he was a young man. In in fact, uh, uh, if you look over in 1 Timothy, the book by his name, chapter 4, verse 12, 
written not too far from the time Paul wrote Philippians. Paul says this to Timothy, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. See, Paul's concern about Timothy and his leadership, his role to play in the church, was not related to his age. It was related to other things. The ways in which he was an example, the way he behaved, the things he did to show love, the things he said, uh, his faith, the way he sought to keep himself pure in the Lord. Those were the things that mattered to Paul, not his age. I want to mention that because it's really important for a church to be clear on this. We, we for instance, at, in the Presbyterian church, we have the office of elder. And oftentimes when we hear the word elder, we think older. And it is true that a lot of the elders at Metrocrest and in other churches, like me, aren't particularly young. Now, I'll leave it to debate exactly how not particularly young I am. But it's, you see, the, the office of elder is not about your age. It's been interesting to me to have conversations with Christians over the years, including a conversation or two here at Metrocrest, about office in the church. And one or two people that I've been talking to, sort of chatting, getting to know as I've been trying to meet people at the church. Uh, and this happened at Christ Church as well. Christ Church Carrollton bumped into the exact same thing. I had a young man at Christ Church uh, who said, you know, I, I'm interested in serving the church. I'd like to serve the church. I'm, I'm open to serving the church, but I've got a family and I've got my job and I'm really working very hard. And, you know, I'm, I'm afraid I don't have the time and I'm, I'm afraid I can't can't fulfill the responsibility. It's so important. What I told that young man, and I want to say this to every young man at Metrocrest who might be called to serve the Lord Jesus at Metrocrest, we want deacons and elders and ministry coordinators and care group leaders who are in the middle of life like you are in the middle of life just because you're working like crazy to try and pay your bills and, and keep your family focused the way you want to, that does not disqualify you from ministry and from office in the church. In fact, let me just say, I think it kind of uniquely prepares you. We want leaders who are in the middle of life right now, at every stage, at every age, at every point in life, we want and I believe God is calling leaders who are at different points. So the you will not find a qualification from Paul that describes office in terms of age. You will not find it. What you'll find is qualification in terms of focus and ministry and faithfulness and a desire to learn and to teach and to serve and uh, to, be an ex to try humbly to try and be an example, any elder, any deacon will tell you, the longer we serve, the more we understand how limited and on our own unable we are. If you feel unable, join the crowd. If you had to feel able in order to be ordained or to hold office, there would be no officers, certainly no qualified officers. 
one of the qualifications for being an officer is humility, which is to recognize that I don't have that power, that authority on my own. No one does. Timothy was an example of that. And I think Timothy could be a patron saint for the, the young Christian leader who's not sure. Should I help? Can I, can I come in and offer to help? Yes, says Paul. Yes. Just like he told Timothy, do not let anyone despise you for your youth. If God is calling you and we're here to help you discern that, you pray about it, you think about it. You do not have to be a sinless, perfect example to be an officer. You just have to be willing. And and Timothy is the patron saint of that. I'm so glad that Paul stopped here as he's reaching out to this church he loved to talk about servants, laborers, and ministers who can be young people. That is not a problem. Now, I don't want to encourage you to overstep or overcommit. Don't do that. But, but know that if God's calling you, he will provide the opportunity for you to fulfill your ministry. And I can point you towards lots of examples of young men who heeded that call, jumped in, and found God working in ways they could never have imagined. So think about that. Think about that. Paul finishes with his longest comments on someone whose name you may not even recognize. Verses 25 to 30, Paul turns and he talks about a man named Epaphroditus. Like I said, you may not recognize that name. There, I, don't, I don't know many Eunices or Loises. I don't know any Epaphroditus's. Do you? I, I don't know. I think that's the kind of name you might give your dog. Epaphroditus would be a clever name to give your dog or your parakeet. Uh, today, Epaphroditus is, is not a name you bump into very often, but it was a name that was very precious to Paul. Look at how Paul describes uh, this man, Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. And look what he says about him. My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Uh, brother, worker, soldier. It's like this deepening and broadening circle. He's a brother, and he's a worker, and he's a soldier. That's what Epaphroditus was to Paul. Doesn't ring a bell with me till I got to know what Paul had to say. It now rings a bell, but it rang a bell to Paul. It mattered very much to Paul. He was apparently a resident of Philippi. Uh, he, he, Paul actually says that Epaphroditus, besides being his brother, worker, and fellow soldier, he was their messenger. Apparently, a Paul here in his letter to the Philippians is responding to the Philippians' message through Epaphroditus to him in prison. He apparently brought gifts, perhaps money, perhaps food, certainly himself. He came to serve Paul in prison. He was sent there by the church. I'm so excited, so excited that uh, Metrocrest is uh, getting involved in Metanoia ministry. I was talking to uh, a few of the brothers and uh, others here at Metrocrest who are signing up to be writing letters 
to men and women in prison, to reach out to them, to bring love. Well, when you do that, you're doing what Epaphroditus did, to bring a message of hope and love to someone who's in prison. Uh, This person, Epaphroditus, was a minister to Paul's needs. He cared for Paul. He has been longing for you, he says, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Apparently he got sick. Verse 27, indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So he recovered from this illness. He was near death. He recovered. That was an answer to Paul's prayers. Verse 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. Sort of the homecoming of the one sent. He's coming back to Philippi. You'll be excited to see him. And, uh, and then uh, Paul will also uh, be less anxious uh, because uh, Epaphroditus has gone home to Philippi. Why would Paul be less anxious uh, because Epaphroditus had gone home? Well, Paul says, Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. You see, what made Paul less anxious was that this minister was going home with a message from Paul. This messenger, Epaphroditus, was carrying Philippians. The letter we've been reading and studying, Epaphroditus delivered. You know, really the only things we know about Epaphroditus are the things that Paul just told us and the fact that Epaphroditus delivered this apostolic message. Um. I mentioned that February 22nd is the anniversary of my ordination. Someone thinking ahead sent me a book on being a pastor. Derek Prime and Alistair Begg. Wonderful book. I'm going to read it the week of my ordination anniversary. The chapters are The Call and the Calling, Life and Character, Goals and Priorities, Prayer, Devotional Life, Study, Preaching, Pastoral Care, Pastoral care of the practicalities, the conduct of worship, the responsibility to lead, delegation, family and leisure. And the the 14th chapter, the last chapter is perils. (laughs) Perils. I had to chuckle at that one. I can't wait to get around to chapter 14. Um, And I got to tell you, I, I can't wait to read it. And I know these authors are men who have a great deal to say and to teach. And I am going to be eagerly listening to them and reading what they have to say. But let me, let me tell you this. It is a little intimidating to read Derek Prime, who's a pastor in Edinburgh, Scotland, the pastor of Charlotte Chapel in Edinburgh, and Alistair Begg, who is not only the pastor of a huge Presbyterian church or an independent Reformed church in suburban Cleveland, He's also on the radio, and he preaches to millions of people. It's a little intimidating to read from uh, Alistair Begg and Derek Prime about being a pastor. Read what Alistair Begg has to say about being a preacher. It's a little intimidating. It's a little intimidating because, like I told you, I, when I was ordained, I was very conscious of my inadequacies. And 30 years later, guess what? I'm, I am more aware of my inadequacies. I think one of the great challenges of of doing the job I have and of trying to do any kind of Christian leadership is 
we have this picture in our head of that's what it's got to look like. That's what you've got to do. And I know a lot of great preachers. You, you know a lot of great preachers, uh, either personally or, or on the internet or the books you read. You know a lot of great pastors. I've known some great pastors. And if I compare myself to the great pastors I've known, I feel very inadequate. I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. But very early on, someone told me some very wise words. They said, God doesn't call you to use gifts you don't have. He calls you to use the gifts he's given you. That's what he calls you to do. I will never be as smart or as creative, or clever, or well-organized, or as articulate, as well-educated, as good-looking. I will never be those things. And most of you won't either. You'll be like Epaphroditus. Not very well-known, not famous, but faithful. That's what Epaphroditus did. I can't be Paul. Paul had a unique role to play in the life of the church. I can't be Timothy. I'm not young anymore. Some of you, there's a way in which you could follow the example of Timothy. That day's passed for me. But every single day, when I get up, I can try to be an Epaphroditus. You know, his name means follower of Aphrodite, handsome, handsome one, follower of Aphrodite. One of the reasons it's not very common today is not many people like Aphrodite today. But he was named by a Gentile parent who knew Aphrodite, and he was named after Aphrodite. Well, Epaphroditus got up and sought to be faithful to the people that he had been connected with. And Paul says, honor him. Isn't that interesting? Honor him. Receive him, verse 29, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. I'm not talking about me. I'm I'm talking about those who seek to be faithful. There are people sitting in this congregation who are absolutely, I'm convinced, called to leadership. And I know there's a room full of people called like Epaphroditus, to faithfulness. And that's men and women. We're all called to faithfulness. You may not be called to a world-famous pulpit. You may not be called to some ministry that people write about and gets put on the internet. But you are called to ministry in Christ's name here in the MetroCrest communities, here in Carrollton, here at MetroCrest Presbyterian Church. You are called to that. And I urge you to to accept that ministry, to turn to that ministry, to honor those called to that ministry, all of us to honor one another, to love one another. And let me just close with that, the little reminder about the pictures from Kylie that her grandmother loved. Um, I don't know what an art critic would say of this picture of Kylie's house. I don't know what an art critic would say. I don't know what a grandparent would say. And I, I don't know what a ministry critic, there are a lot of ministry critics out there. I don't know what a ministry critic would say about our little church. I don't know. I really don't care very much. What matters to me is what does our Father say? 
when he looks, does he see all about me and all about my agenda and what I want to do? Or does he see people humbly seeking to follow Jesus? Humbly seeking to point towards Jesus? Well, that pleases our Father. And you and I are capable of that.